Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch Tape from Cleveland.com, Doug Marie, Scott Patsko, Brown Steelers on Sunday. Scott Patsko, I know you sent a message out to our Browns Tech subscribers. If you guys want to be a Browns insider, you go to Cleveland.com slash Browns, click on the blue book banner. All kinds of great stuff you get for that little extra price. If you love the Browns, I think it's worth it. You sent something out to tech subscribers about saying goodbye, potentially, yes. probably, to Ben Roethlisberger, that this is likely his final game in Cleveland. I don't think we can ad- analyze that from a data standpoint. Is there, do you have any data? <laughs> We're not talking about the data on how much Browns fans hate Ben Roethlisberger. So that is not the topic on Gotta Watch the Tape this week. No, uh, I think it's more this. That's more in a gotta gotta watch the emotions type pod because I, I, as I put out on the text, I was both terrified and curious of the responses <laughs> that I might get when I asked them to, you know, what, what's your farewell message to Ben Roethlisberger? Uh, and surprisingly, there's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of respect in there for his game. Um, there's quite a few people who basically said, "Hey, wish we had drafted you." So, yeah, that was kind of surprising. But, yeah, there's plenty of, you know, good riddance. Uh, yeah. And I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> so that matters. And I do think that uh, Gotta Feel the Emotions podcast would be valuable this week on what exactly everybody is feeling about saying goodbye to Big Ben. But we will get into that in the matchups. You're going to focus on three key matchups in this game on Gotta Watch the Tape because that's what we do here. And there is a matchup about the Browns pass rush trying to get after Ben Roethlisberger that relates to how – quickly or not quickly, he gets rid of the ball. That is not the first matchup, however. We are going back to a favorite position group here on Gotta Watch the Tape, one that we have talked about a lot. Again, we'll do three different key matchups for Sunday. Scott Pasco has the info. Scott, dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. Yeah, I think this this might have been a matchup even if JOK uh, were playing, but he's not. He's on IR. Uh, but this first matchup is Steelers running back Najee Harris against the Browns linebackers. And you might remember last year, the Steelers really struggled to run the ball. Uh, they finished 32nd in rushing yards per game, less than 85. And I believe that was the lowest average in Steelers franchise history. I know I read that somewhere. I spent some time this afternoon trying to uh, trying to find that, and I couldn't. But I'm just going to go ahead and say it was. <laughs> uh, and they were 31st in PFF run blocking grade as a team. So just the run game overall was was a big struggle for the Steelers last year. This year, they have three new starters on the offensive line, and then they drafted Harris out of Alabama with the 24th pick of the draft, um, which opened up a whole the whole debate of do you take a running back in the first round? They did. Um, James Conner is no longer with them. So they come into this game, though. Again, they're ranked 29th in rushing yards per game, even less than they finished last season. They're at 81.2 yards per game this season, and they're 30th in PFF run blocking game. So from that standpoint, not much has changed. But the good news is we're not here to talk about their running game. Uh, we're here to talk about how they use Harris in the passing game. And that's, I think, the more interesting matchup here uh, for the Browns linebackers because the Browns have done a good job shutting just about everybody down uh, running the ball. But how they do in coverage is going to be uh, something that you have to watch going forward because, again, like we said, JOK is out, and he really uh, had a big impact in in their ability to cover Harris has rushed for 388 yards, 3.8 yard average. 
but he has caught 34 passes for 244 yards and is second on the Steelers in targets with 46. He's tied for third on the team with 12 first downs receiving. He also has two uh, receiving touchdowns this season. The Steelers offense of their new coordinator, Matt Canada, looks a lot like last season's offense. So not much has really changed. Ben is still in the shotgun a lot. They really can't run. And it's like a thousand paper cuts in the passing game. A lot of short passes, uh, nothing much of note downfield. But having the running back more involved in the passing game is different. Uh, last season, James Conner led the Steelers running backs and targets with just 43 in the regular season. And like we said, Harris has already topped that. Uh, and we're that's not amazing. Even that's a, that's yeah. an amazing quick change in one season, Scott. Oh, yeah. And, and some of it has to do with his ability, certainly uh, catching and, and what he can do after the catch. But just, you know, in targets, obviously, it's just a huge difference. Uh, Benny Snell, the backup to Connor last year, he had only had 14 targets. So a huge drop off even from from where Connor was. Uh, Harris, Harris's targets actually ranked second among all NFL running backs this season. His catches are also second and his receiving yards are fourth. So, again, uh, it's somebody that they really look to uh, in the passing game more so than, than most teams. 14 of those catches came in week three against the Bengals, but he's had three other games with at least five catches. So it's not all just, just that one game. And he's done all that despite the Steelers mostly ignoring screen passes. He's run 13 screen routes this second this season, but and, and only he's the only running back or tight end on the Steelers to run more than two, but he's only been targeted four times on those screens and he's caught two for 11 yards. So that's really not a big part of their game. Instead, the Steelers use Harris a lot in the slot. He has huh. 27 snaps there this season uh, and out wide. He's at 18 snaps out wide. So again, this is the Steelers offense that likes to get a lot of people spread out. I got Ben Roethlisberger in the shotgun, giving him a lot of options and a lot of quick options uh, for comparison. Demetric Felton also has 27 slot snaps this season. Kareem Hunt has 12 give you kind of indication of what you see on the Browns compared to what the Steelers are doing, but Harris isn't really running routes downfield. Uh, it's a lot of quick outs or quick crossing routes, you know, in front of the line. It, he's the, he's the outlet a lot of times, although he is, he does seem to be, uh, you know, the, the first option on quite a bit, but uh, he's always kind of there for Roethlisberger to dump the ball off. And he often does because, you know, he's getting a ton of targets. So that's Harris. Um, the Browns have done all right in coverage against running backs this season. They've given up 29 catches, which ranks 20th, 208 yards, which ranks 25th. So it's not like they're getting hurt by receiving running backs so much. Um, however, running backs have caught four touchdowns against the Browns, and that's second most in the NFL, which brings us to the red zone where the Browns have given up seven catches on nine targets with three touchdowns to running backs. And, the catches rank fifth, the touchdowns rank third. So when teams get in the red zone, looking for your running back could be could be an option. JOK, like we said, obviously would not be a help. He's on IR. That means Anthony Walker will be working with last year's rotation of Mac Wilson, Malcolm Smith, Sione Takitaki. Uh, now the good news for the Browns is that Wilson is having his best season as a pro. Although he's had limited snaps, he's still doing better with those limited snaps than he did. Yeah, you know, whatever, whatever amount of snaps he got over the last two seasons. I, I want to seize on that, although just very quickly, because Mac Wilson was a guy we've talked about this on the on different pods that he was kind of a guy that people fell in love with in camp a little bit, and then yeah. his role has been limited this year. It has been in a backup role or maybe specialized situations, and great for Mac Wilson that there was a time when it felt like I don't know maybe he won't be on this team this season, and he is. He has a role. That, although, is very important to me, though, Scott, because I think I like him as a situational backup guy. It, it does still make me a little nervous of, like, the more they lean on a guy like Mac Wilson in a game like this against a guy like Harris or things like that, that's where I get a little nervous if he's a primary part of dealing with a guy like Harris. Yeah, and I think you throw Taki Taki in there, too. Those guys, as starters, as you know, guys who are on the field for 50% or more of the snaps, yeah, they've, they've had struggles in the past few years, but you get better, you get better depth. And suddenly those guys don't have to be the frontline guys. And yeah, you have somebody like JOK rise up and, and take that spot. So still, and like Mac Wilson has been more consistent in coverage. He, he's got okay. a PFF grade of 63, 65.3. And he finished last two seasons below 50. And again, that was supposed to be his strength. 
So he's done better there. And he's coming off his best game of the season. He graded almost 80 in 10 coverage snaps uh, against the Broncos. Um, actually, all the linebackers did really well against the Broncos. It was it's a good last game coming into this game for sure. Um, more good news is that even in small doses and coverage, Taki Taki, too, is having his best season against the pass. Again, he's not a guy they want out there a lot in those situations, but his coverage grade is 80.1, although he has had at least 10 cover snaps in just two games this season. Again, it's small doses, but he's doing better when he's out there in those situations, and that's that's important. Last Thursday was his third game this season with a grade of 77 or better in coverage, so that's encouraging. Um, Malcolm Smith, though, has been a different story. Uh, I remember last season he was I'm trying 13th, 11th or 13th. I didn't write this down. Uh, he, he was very highly uh, ranked against in coverage. And that was important because the Browns really need him to, to fill that role last season. And he did this season's kind of been split. He did really well in the three games that he started for Anthony Walker, but he's really struggled in the three games when he's been back in his supporting role. When Anthony Walker has been in there as the starter, he's given up three coverage touchdowns in those three games when he has not been the starter. Uh, and he is near the bottom uh, of the team in, in most grades uh, through PFF. So that's I not think, great. That's not great. No, no I think uh, going into the, again, who knows who's going to get the most snaps uh, between him and, and Wilson. But if you're looking for somebody who's been more consistent, at least in that uh, role where they're not necessarily getting every snap, you go with Wilson. If you want Smith out there for most of this game, Maybe that's the thing that sets him over the top because he has done better when he's been out there more. But judging from last week, they're going to stick with this rotation and they're not just going to have one guy you know, with Walker the whole game. Uh, Walker, meanwhile, has graded 86.1 and 76.5 in coverage the last two weeks uh, and has a pass breakup during that time. Uh, he's, he has just one fewer coverage snap, 35 total, than the other three linebackers combined. So he's been out there more than anybody and he's going to be out there more than anybody. And the fact that he's done well the last couple of weeks coming off his injury, I think is, is, is good uh, for the Browns. He's certainly gotten to a level that it took BJ Goodsnow a lot longer to get to in this defense. So that's encouraging. Uh, the, the one thing to remember about this game though, is the Browns are probably going to have their nickel look on the field a lot. The Steelers. Yes. Yes, the Steelers use 11 personnel, three wide receivers, 76% of the time, which is third most this season. Um, you could also see a lot of their three safety look uh, and out there. And maybe, you know, we're not sure who maybe the one linebacker would be if they go three safeties and three DBs. But again, you're, you're limiting, you're improving your coverage and you're limiting the amount of times you have to have guys out there who maybe aren't as strong in coverage. So that's an option the Browns could use if they want to avoid Anthony Walker on Harris in the slot or even avoid Mac Wilson or Malcolm Smith on him there. You have options. Um, so anyways, that's how the Browns can approach that. And I think that's going to be an important matchup. Look, the Steelers offense is not good. Najee Harris is not breaking the league with his receiving, but he is an important part of it. Uh, he's always there and available for those passes. And that's something I think the Browns uh, are probably going to want to shut down. So that's, I want to ask two specific questions. One is I do, this is just a brief thing, but this is like a got to watch tape conversation. The Steelers using that first round pick on Najee Harris, it's back half of the first round. They had not taken a running back in the first round of the draft since 2008, since they took Rashard Mendenhall before. So they, they've been disciplined about this, right? This whole discussion of don't drop them too early. They took Le'Veon Bell in the second round, I think in 2013. That was like a, a Chubb-like pick a little bit, right? That's a really good player, became a foundational guy for the Steelers, wasn't a first-round pick. They were really disciplined about it, but everybody matched up Najee Harris. Like if you did a mock draft last year and you're terrible at it, for instance, maybe if you were like me, if, if I would have done a mock draft. I might have gone one for 32 on the picks, but the one everybody got right was Najee Harrison Steelers. Everybody yeah. knew this. Was it okay, right? When you see this, that they have a style of passing game they want to use, they've got to get it to the back a little bit as part of that. James Conner was average at best. They needed to upgrade there. It's a clear upgrade need. Najee Harris was a really good college player. He tied for third in college football in catches by running backs last season. Now Bama played a bunch of games more than some teams did, but still, right. There's a guy who had done it before 
Was this okay? Do we give the Steelers an okay grade for taking Najee Harris with the 24th overall pick? Or should they have taken a defensive tackle or cornerback or something and then found some guy in the third round who would have done basically the same thing? It makes sense from the standpoint that your quarterback is Ben Roethlisberger and he's not going to be throwing very far downfield. Like if, you, if you're drafting one guy for one year of Ben Roethlisberger to play with Ben Roethlisberger, it makes sense. Uh, I don't know how much sense it's going to make long-term. He's clearly the best back they've had in quite a while. I mean, you just yeah. watch him play and he does things that, that they haven't had. James Conner isn't, wasn't doing Benny Snell wasn't doing he's, you know, he can be elusive in that respect. And obviously catching the ball is, is a big deal. So yeah, it makes sense from that standpoint. I still, it's, it's a hard sell to say that they needed to take that running back in that spot. And that was the best way they could upgrade this team. Because again, look at their running yardage per game. It's just, it's, it's even worse than it was last season. Uh, he's not, they didn't draft a running back in the first round for him to catch passes. And I'm guessing this offense is probably going to look quite a bit different without Ben Roethlisberger whenever that happens. Yeah. Because right now it looks a lot like it did last year. And, you know, you basically drafted another receiver in a lot of ways. Okay. So you're, I tried to get to give him a pass. You're sticking to the got to watch the tape. Don't take <laughs> running backs in the first round. I get it. Okay. So the, the other part of this is, I, I just am interested in more three safety looks, right? Where, where I do think maybe not, I don't, I just like maybe not even in a dime look, right? Not, not in a like an only third and long situation where I still just think that might be chances where maybe even on first and 10, your best lineup is three corners, three safeties, and Anthony Walker with this group, the way things are right now, because one of the safeties really plays more like a second linebacker. Last week, the snap cast, Anthony Walker at linebacker played all 50. And then, Malcolm Smith played 25 snaps, Mac Wilson 17, Sione Takitaki 17. And at safety, John Johnson the third, all 50, Ronnie Harrison 29, Grant Delpit 29. Would that work against the Steelers? Right? Is it that you're talking about it's the linebackers against like Najee Harris here, right? This kind of thing in, in the short passing game. But it's really the guys who are in the linebacker positions that actually might be guys who are listed at safety on the roster, or is that just nuts? You're going to set yourself up to have Najee Harris, get the ball and run on you and cram it down your throat. If you're trying to play one linebacker on regular downs. No, I really like the idea of three safeties. And I like the idea of having Troy Hill out there and just the one linebacker. Troy Hill has been excellent against the run this season. Mm. And that I think makes a lot of sense from a coverage standpoint, obviously. And, and also I think it's pretty good from a, a run defense standpoint, especially if it's like John Johnson in the box, maybe, and dump it deep. You know, Harrison is, uh, is kind of the strong safety floating, I guess, in between. But if you have that lineup, that where you just have the one linebacker, I think that is something worth trying because, like I said, Troy Hill's been excellent. Denzel Ward's been really good against the run this year, even though he's kind of, we're not sure where he's at uh, health-wise. But, yeah, I think that's something that that's worth trying. And maybe it, I think it's good from a run defense standpoint because those guys are performed. And also it's, it's better from a coverage standpoint, because then you know that you have guys out there that excel in that and have been a little more consistent than, than some of your linebackers. Okay. So I think, I think that's important. Again, the idea that people are on alert for Najee Harris, but not necessarily getting the ball in handoffs, but being that, that kind of, mismatch attempted mismatch right and the browns mm -hmm. yes it, it's just boy i think by the time jok comes back scott browns fans and browns coaches and browns teammates are maybe even more in love with the guy than when he went out because yeah. you just see that he's playing the jok position and he's doing the jok things and when you take him off the field all of a sudden we're trying to say, well, we kind of want a little bit of Malcolm Smith and a little bit of Mac Wilson and a little bit of Grant Delpit. Maybe we can patch it all together and kind of come up with a guy who does the JOK kind of things, where otherwise you just put JOK out there for every snap and say, we're fine no matter what they do. It is a little bit remarkable, though I guess not unexpected the way people were talking about him, how vital he has become to the Browns defense in a short amount of time. And I think maybe it was just me or some of the discussions we had on the pods before the season of like, he is he like a wrinkle guy. Is he almost like your 12th defender that situationally he gives you flexibility. And it's like, he is a primary wrinkle. 
He's a wrinkle, like right, a crease right down the middle of your forehead. This is not one you can escape. He is a part of what you do every down kind of because he's wrinkly because he gives you options and man, like the defense is just going to feel to me so much more certain the minute he is back on the field every snap. Yeah. And the fact that he performed well against the run, that had to be something that they wanted to make sure he could do at this level because he is undersized, but then also just his ability to pick up how to play zone coverages as a linebacker in the NFL. And he seemed to have done that. And uh, when you got those two, uh, when you got a, a rookie performing pretty well at those two, and you know he's good one-on-one in coverage, um, you know you know he hasn't tackled great, but um, he's playing fast. So you already have all that stuff, and then you add in his ability to to avoid those big linemen coming at him, to get around them and, and make tackles, and you know, like I said, dropping in, in zone and knowing what to do is is a big part of it. And he was on his way, and I think when he does come back, uh, hopefully there's no lingering effects, and he can kind of pick up where he left off. All right. We'll take a quick break here on got to watch the tape. Miles Garrett versus Ben Roethlisberger. You guys are going to like that one. That's next. Doug and Scott. We hired somebody. I think you guys probably know this by now. Ellis Williams is gone and he has announced that he is covering the Carolina Panthers for the Charlotte observer. So good luck to Ellis with that. We wish him nothing but the best. And we have added Ashley Bastock to our coverage team for the Browns. She is not going to do the exact same thing that Ellis did. She's not going to do a bunch of film breakdowns, but she is a tremendous reporter, a tremendous writer, a great person. You're going to hear her on the podcasts. Uh, that's going to, she's going to start rolling in on orange and Brown talk, just like everybody else. And then we are hopefully planning efforting to get some people on part, a t- part-time basis, a freelance basis who can do some film breakdowns for us at cleveland.com do a lot of those kind of posts that Ellis did so well. And when those people start rolling through our coverage at cleveland.com slash Browns, we'll let you know about that. We'll direct you to some of the film breakdown posts that they are doing. And then once they get rolling a little bit, they'll start dropping in here a little bit to start doing some of that stuff that Ellis did. We do numbers, we do film, we do it all. So just to keep you guys posted, we are rolling along here. Got to watch the tape. We are rolling along with our Browns coverage. Good luck to Ellis, but we have we have absolutely great stuff on our site and in our podcast stream. All right. Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney, Steelers tackles, and Big Ben trying to get rid of it before they rip off his bionic arm. <laughs> is this a matchup that is pro-Browns or pro-Steelers when you think about these ends against those Steelers tackles? This was... Yeah, see, I, for, well, first I, I said, what I said, I said, this is Garrett and Clowney versus the Steelers tackles, but really I could have called this Garrett and Clowney versus Ben Roethlisberger's release time. Uh, and I'm not sure where I come out of this. Maybe I'll okay. convince myself one way or the other as we go through this. Um, because Roethlisberger, again, is leading NFL quarterbacks in time to throw. He's getting rid of the ball an average of 2.36 seconds. He led the league last year, too, at 2.3 seconds. I don't know what the what the extra number was there, but basically it's about the same. Uh, He just, he gets rid of it so quick. Uh, That's good because the Steelers rank 30th in pass block win rate, which is that ESPN stat, which measures how quick you or your ability to hold a block for at least two and a half seconds. So they made this offense around necessity, you know, a guy who, who isn't going to throw the ball downfield very much. And and the offensive line isn't going to pass block as long that quick release time led to just 14 sacks against uh, the Steelers last season, which was seven fewer than the second-place Packers. So people really didn't get to Ben last year. Remember, the Browns did not sack him in that wild-card game. He was under pressure only 20% of his dropbacks, and he threw three picks from a clean pocket. This year, though, Roethlisberger isn't really avoiding sacks like he was in 2020. He's already been sacked 12 times. And they, they're just coming off their buys, so they played one less game than, than most teams. However. He is very rarely under pressure, just 22.1% of his dropbacks, which ranks 36 out of 36 eligible quarterbacks. Hmm. So clearly the Browns secondary will need to be ready for the passing game that gets the ball out so fast, but I'm still more intrigued by how these Browns edge rushers will do in this game because Ben Roethlisberger is such an immobile quarterback right now. 
at this point in his career. It just seems like the ultimate challenge for Garrett and Clowney to test how fast they can get to a quarterback and how much impact they can have against an offense like this. So I want to go over the tackles that are protecting Ben Roethlisberger. The first one is uh, Chikuma Okorafor, who I want to call Okafor, Mm. who I believe is an NBA player. Yes. But it's Okorafor, right tackle. He's been, he's one of the holdovers from last season. Um, And in this, I want to read you an excerpt from uh, the athletic did a, uh, a bi-week grading of all the Steelers. Cause even though it's not really the halfway point, it seemed like a good, a good time for reflection. Uh, and this is what they wrote about him. A core four hasn't been good at all. You might point. <laughs> yeah, that's how it starts. You might point to the Denver game in which he shut down Von Miller, but a lot of that had to do with how the game unfolded. He was still called for two penalties. Uh, as the Steelers' most experienced returning lineman, it is disappointing that he hasn't played better. So his PFF grade in pass protection is 64.4. He's given up seven pressures. That includes four hits, but no sacks. Uh, he does have a team high five penalties. Last season, he's the guy who saw Miles Garrett the most in the wild card game. He had a 56.7 grade uh, in pass protection in that game. He allowed three pressures. Miles Garrett had 45 of his 50 pass rush snaps uh, from that side of the, okay. of the line. So, that, so, so that's the matchup we're going to see. We're right. seeing this guy who is having such a bad season that the assessment of him was basically he's terrible against Miles Garrett. That is going to happen 95% of the time, it sounds like. Right, right. So from that standpoint, yes, that is, an, that is a matchup that I will say Miles Garrett has an advantage. <laughs> um, we can certainly put the needle in his direction again, but it's not simply Miles Garrett against the core four. It's Miles Garrett against him, plus Ben Roethlisberger getting the ball out really quick. So on the other side, you got rookie Dan Moore Jr., who was a fourth-round pick. He was moved to left tackle late in training camp. Uh, he left their week six game with a hip injury late in the fourth quarter, but I have not found anything that says he's in danger of being out this week. He's like I said, they had the bye week, so he had you know two weeks to kind of get over that. Um, he has a 64.3 pass blocking grade, so both tackles are about the same uh, in PFF grading this season, uh, roughly average, a little above average. He's given up a team high 17 pressures, which is it sounds like a lot, but it's nowhere near the the league leaders. Uh, and that includes four hits and two sacks. So again, this week you have more in Okora four. They get Garrett and Clowney, who are first and third respectively in pass rush productivity, which is a PFF stat that measures like pressures per snaps. Okay. And they give more weight to sacks. So Garrett leads the league at 12.6, Clowney at 11.3. From a directional standpoint, though, because they break it up versus right side, left side, uh, Garrett ranks third in PRP from the right side or against left tackles where he's taken 84% of his snaps this season. And then Clowney ranks 11th from the other side, where he's had 87% of his snaps this season. Um, now they could switch, and they usually do for a few snaps, but it hasn't been anywhere near what we saw from Garrett like the last two seasons, where we really thought he was maybe on his way to rushing predominantly against right tackles. Oh, so it's not going to be that Garrett against that guy 95% no, of the no. time, like I said before. No, it will be. It will be. It will be. Because the right side, you're looking at uh, from the defensive perspective. Uh, that's, it's the I, most confusing thing in the I NFL. know. It gets confusing. I know. But Why does... can't we call it like bow and starboard, right? That's you why really they do should. it. Because on the sailboat, you don't know which way you're sailing, and left and right doesn't do anything. Actually, I don't know what those mean, though. Really? Yeah, bow so and starboard would wouldn't help me. me at all. I, I have no idea. <laughs> so I don't even know if that's the right. But can't we come up with a football term for that is – Left side offensively, right side defensively, but we call that, you know, the yeah. Butkus side. And then the other side, we call the Nitschke side or whatever. Like, we can we, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. Well, so we'll just Garrett, say Garrett, Garrett rushes against left tackles. Over, so yeah. it's Garrett normally rushes against left tackles. I feel, it's like, am I dumbing down the podcast on behalf of the listeners <laughs> and I'm doing them a service, or am I just a very old man who gets easily confused? Miles mm. Garrett normally goes against left tackles. This but season, the guy, yes. but the guy that we talked about first, Okorafor, is a right tackle. I'm sorry, you are correct. So he's going to be going against this Dan Brown guy from uh, the Tom Hanks Dan played Mo- in right. the movie. Yes. Dan, Dan Moore. <laughs> yes, he's going to be going against this rookie guy. So it's not going to be the guy that the the evaluation was. 
he personally disappoints me with his terrible play or whatever that writer wrote. Yeah. That guy's going to be getting clowny most of the time. Miles Correct. is getting the fourth round rookie who got moved late in camp and got hurt last time out. Okay. Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't so, sound like either yeah. of these tackles are great options for Pittsburgh. Which for the record, I was just about to get to. That's the next line in my notes here. Uh, that you means we should think? get Garrett, a lot of Garrett versus Moore and Clowney versus a Corafor. So yeah. Okay. Just, just use your, your editing audio magic to just change around all our words Never. there in case. No, I'm not. I don't, I don't have time to edit. You get it all raw. Sorry, listeners. Yes. So, but either way, these don't sound like good tackles to me, Scott. And this, but it does. So then, so then the issue is Ben getting rid of it before they get to him and rip off his bionic arm. Here's my thing with the quarterback release numbers, right? Mm -hmm. I I wish you could judge. Can we get a metric that judges what's in a quarterback's heart when he gets rid of the ball? Because getting rid of the ball with decisiveness is one thing. Getting rid of the ball because of fear is another Mm -hmm. thing. And so it feels like to me, we've talked about this, this metric and these, what, how many seconds, two point what, or three point what that a quarterback holds the ball. It feels like to me, being on the very, very hot end of I get rid of it quickly can actually be bad. And being on the end of I hold the ball forever can actually be bad, right? Justin Fields, I think, is probably on the end of I hold the ball forever, and he's getting sacked 10 times a game. This feels like one of those where you actually kind of want to be in the middle or that you have to know if you're on the end of getting rid of the ball quickly, are you a brilliant processor of defenses quick release, read the situation, get it out? Or are you just playing hot potato because you're an immobile old man with terrible tackles, but it might, both might lead to you having a low release time. You know what I'm saying here? I've always, I'm often confused by what I'm supposed to take away from the quarter, how long the quarterback holds the ball. Typically the longer the quarterback holds the ball, the more, the more likely something bad is to, going to happen to that quarterback uh he's going to get sacked because he's scrambling or he's going to throw a bad pass because he's again throwing on the run that's the general theory and idea guys who throw it quickly uh, like ben roethlisberger leaves league tom brady's second 2.5 seconds but then third is tua certainly not in the same class uh, experience wise as those guys Okay, uh, but, you, you, you read the top 10 fastest guys to me, and I will right. say fear or decisiveness. So Ben right. is fear, Brady's decisiveness. To I, I wouldn't call Ben fear. I would call it I would call it understanding the offense and having the offense <laughs> built around the fact that you need to get the ball away quick because they're coming to get you. You're very kind. You're I guess very kind. I guess He's maybe just it's a fear by the offensive old... coordinator. Maybe that's it. But I. But he, I mean, you like you watch the Steelers, they throw a lot of quick slants. It's, you know, those two yard in routes to Juju uh, when he was still healthy, um, stuff like that. But anyways, I'll go over the top because it is, it's a mix. Uh, You have Ben, number one, Tom Brady, Tua, David Mills. Davis Mills is fear. Or Davis Mills. uh, Kirk Cousins. Probably decisiveness or lack of ability. Which Change from when Stefanski was there because he led the league in most time to throw like Baker did last year, largely because a lot of those bootlegs and, you know, play yeah. action and all that. Uh, Jimmy G. Fear. Mac Jones. <laughs> uh, probably, I guess, decisiveness and also just like the way he, the way he has always played. All right. Well, here's a decisive one. Joe Burrow. Decisive. Brian Tannehill. Decisive. How many is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Justin Herbert. Decisive. Okay. But but the better, right? I like the, the guys. And then Russell Wilson's tied with him. But yeah. I like the guys who are seven, eight, nine, ten more than I like the guys who are like three, four, five, six, right? right? So we're starting to get toward the middle where you find the better quarterback. Some of those guys at the top, Davis Mills is not there because yeah. he's like, ho, 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 let me, let me slice and dice this defense, baby. Right. That's hot potato. Some of these guys are playing hot potato. And I think Ben, th- six years ago, Ben was probably still very high in this category. And I would have said decisiveness, but the older he gets, the less mobile he gets. I start leaning towards hot potato. It's a nice way of saying fear. When I get yeah. the hot potato, I don't want my hand to get burned. It's and, fear, but I get rid of it. And he and he he's always been a guy who held the ball a little longer because he wants to make a play, right? We've seen that even yeah. this year with him not being able to 
move very well, him holding the ball, holding the ball, wanting to, you know, looking for receivers of yesterday, you know, um, that aren't there anymore. So waiting for Santonio Holmes to break <laughs> open down the field. Yeah. Or Antonio Brown to, you know, where, yeah. when's he getting open? He ain't getting he ain't there anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One, one thing to note here uh, about that offensive line and, and the pass rush the Steelers have faced. I want to go back to that ESPN stat, that uh, win rate. They do it for offense and defense. Um, they have a pass rush win rate. So as a team, how quickly are you as a, as a pass rush beating blocks in, in 2.5 seconds or less? The Browns rank second in this category. It's not surprising. Yeah. 52%. That by far makes the Browns the highest ranked team the Steelers have faced this year. The Raiders ranked 14th at 43%. They had been the highest. After them, you got the Bills at 17th. And then the other four opponents are 20th or lower. So, uh, again, this is the best pass rush the Steelers have faced this year. Okay. The best at getting the quarterback quickest. Still, it's going to be uh, interesting, at least to me, to, to see how and if they're able to get pressure and get to him, knowing how fast he gets the ball out. And like who wins that that battle? Because uh, one of the things uh, that we asked Miles Garrett early in the season, because Patrick Mahomes got the ball out really quick too, you're making them throw it quicker. Is that a win for you? Because you did that, and he says it is. If we tackle, you know, if we don't let them get yards after after the catch, so that's going to be a big part of this too. It's making them stay on course and getting the ball out quick, but also limiting those catches to to three or four yards and, you know, not letting guys run for 11 yards and first downs. Okay. That's my matchup that this is, I can't wait to watch this, this battle. Listen, I'm joking around about that. He is old, but he's been around a long time. He knows what he can and can't do. Mm -hmm. The offensive coordinator knows what he can and can't do. And they are very aware of the fact that they are facing pass rushers that they have not faced yet this year. And they've got to have a plan to get it out. So, whether Miles Garrett can still get in there and make a play, get a sack in a big moment, strip a ball, whatever, or whether it is just consistently, it's one of those things, Scott. You can an offense can get the ball out quickly on their terms, or an offense can be forced to get the ball out quickly. And the result in in a metric like that is the same thing. But we can see it with our eyes of well. Was that a great plan and the receiver won off the line and got open right away and Ben got it to him in 1.9 and that was great offense? Or was that, man, the Browns had good coverage there and Ben had two guys in his face and he had to throw it before he wanted to. That is the difference. Who is in control? The ball's going to get out quick, but who's controlling the fact that the ball gets out quick, I think is the number one thing in this game. Yeah, and he doesn't have the running game, although it is better at least in theory, because you have a better running back and you have the passing, you know, uh, side of it that, that we talked about to start off here. He doesn't have it to lean on like, like he probably should. Uh, and the Browns are, even if it was a good running game, the, the Browns are excellent at stopping the run this year. Mm-hmm. So you have a struggling running game against one of the best rush defense run defenses in the league which puts even more focus on Ben Roethlisberger having to, to make this offense work uh, by throwing quickly, by moving the chains, you know, it's just, and if the Browns get off to a lead, then, you know, that just adds another big roadblock in, in what you're able to do on offense. And this does feel like one of those games where those, all the Brown safeties like want to be in the box, I think, and want to be close to the line of scrimmage and making plays. This is a good game for them. This is not a safeties getting beat over the top by elite yeah. receivers and, and big playmaking quarterbacks kind of game. So it feels like a but, lot of this fits the Browns defense, right? Yeah, but it is. Uh, you mentioned was last week, uh, John Johnson, the third talking about uh, everybody kind of doing their job and not getting bored. Yep. Like safeties might get bored in this game <laughs> mm. and they have to really, stay on their technique, like he says, and, and communicate and just do their job and not try to jump that route necessarily because keeping everything in front of you and making sure you're tackling. I mean, like I said, this offense is not good and you don't want to help it along by trying to do too much. All right. Last thing, when we come back after this break, Scott Pasco will talk about why the Browns should throw six screens to Johnny Stanton on Sunday next <laughs> on got to watch the tape. 
All right, Scott Pasco. It sounds like you think the Browns should throw screens against the Steelers defense, but I want to know who you want them to throw the screens to. So tell us what this all means. Ellis is no longer here. So I have my pick of all the options. Uh, and by the way, one of these podcasts, I'm going to do a whole hour on Johnny Stanton and why he needs to be a bigger part of this offense. Oh my God. Uh, it, go, go to YouTube folks and just Google Johnny Stanton high school and just be amazed. He, he was one of the top rated dual threat quarterbacks in the country in high school. This dude oh, with calves as big as my waist now was one of the top dual threat quarterbacks in the country. I feel like this is a Dennis Quaid movie. Johnny Stanton is such a movie football name. Hey, Johnny Stanton in your varsity jacket. Why don't you come over here and lean against your convertible next to me, Johnny Stanton? He's the Johnny football we always needed. Yeah, (laughs) that is is a compelling story. I'm not sure. I'm I'm sure Hollywood would rewrite the ending. All right, so you got this dual threat quarterback. His name's Johnny Stanton. And he's, he's the bee's knees. Everybody loves him. Oh, cool. What happens to him? He becomes an NFL fullback. It's like, all right. <laughs> he goes to Nebraska, becomes third string. He realizes that quarterback isn't in his future. And, you know, next thing you know, he's long snapping at his pro day. So <laughs> does he lead his team to the Super Bowl? No, uh, his team goes to the Super Bowl, but he's inactive <laughs> for the Super Bowl. Yeah. That's the whole, it like leads up to like the release of the inactives 90 minutes before the Super yeah. Bowl. And it comes out and Johnny Stan's inactive and we cut the black. The end. Who cares yeah. if they won? He didn't play. All right. Who you want to throw these screens to for real? All right. So yeah, Brown screen game versus the Steelers defense. Um, I Well, they're not going to have as many options as they really would like. So the, that's going to be pretty narrow, but uh, let's start off saying the Browns are lead the league in screen targets for running backs and tight ends combined. And if you watched the Browns this year, that shouldn't come as a surprise. They have 23 uh, targets. They're also first in yards on those screens. And as far as advanced stats go, they're first in points earned on those screen plays. Their total EPA on screens is 18.96, which is first and 10 points higher than the second place Titans. So screens are working for the Browns. They throw them most often. They're, their plays with a lot of more value than most teams are getting out of them when the Browns do it. And perhaps most importantly, the Brown screen game justified at least one offseason storyline I repeatedly wrote about, and that's that the Browns should probably throw more screens. So I commend the Browns for doing what I thought they should do. Nice. That's important. Is part of it, not just, so listen, they don't have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. I guess we start, do we have to come up with another shorthand for magical playmaking quarterback other than Patrick Mahomes? At the moment, I know there's like a battle on Twitter between the people who are sort of questioning Patrick Mahomes and the people who think the people questioning Patrick Mahomes are nuts. I don't know. Maybe I'll say Kyler Murray, right? Okay, so we understand that the Browns don't have Kyler Murray, but they do do this from strength, right? Like, isn't part of this that like there is, and I guess tackles get out on screen sometimes, but they've got some linemen who like to get out and, and hunt for defenders and make blocks in the screen game that, when you see Teller, Treader, and Batonio asked to do this, don't they usually do it pretty well? I guess the numbers, that's what part of the numbers are showing. Yeah, and look, this whole offense, the whole offensive line, and just the way this offense works is built around mobile linemen, guys who can get out, guys who can pull, um, and screen is part of that. And really, like before we saw anything from the Browns last season, I thought the screen game was going to be a huge part of the offense. And it started out, it really wasn't. And that was kind of surprising. They were 19th in screen attempts last season. And that was only after they used it more over the second half of the season. Like it got ramped up. They were 28th in attempts over the first eight weeks. They were eighth over the final eight weeks. So whatever the switch was, maybe that was the plan all along. Okay. We're going to like ease into this. We're not going to come in hot on the screen game because when Stefanski was in Minnesota, they ranked fourth in screen passes and first in screen yardage. That's what, maybe think that that was going to be a bigger part of this, uh, the offense here. Plus Chubb had really excelled in that uh, under uh, kitchens. So like you put those two together, it's, it's like Stefanski and Baker in play actions. Like it seemed like a marriage made in heaven, you know, Stefanski and Chubb in the screen game. Uh, it just did not happen. Um, they ranked 10th in screen yardage last season. Uh, by the end, it's like, even though they didn't, throw it as much they were getting more value out of it and they were third over the second half of the season in yardage so 
I think maybe going through that and seeing how well it worked made them keep it around. So we're finally at that point where it's like, all right, we have everything we need. We got the mobile linemen. We got running backs that do this well. And it's, it's working for them at this point in the season. This is, this is the same thing to me as getting the ball out quickly, right? It's, are you doing something? And this applies to life. Honestly, whatever you do, are you doing it from strength? Or are you doing it from weakness? Are you doing it because you're good at it? Or are you doing it because you're not good at the other stuff and you don't have anything else to do? I do think sometimes maybe it's just me, but people can, you can maybe make an assumption. like, oh, they called a screen. I guess they could, they didn't think they could get the ball downfield in the past game, right? It is. I don't know. Throw a screen, mm-hmm. but I, but this is not a team that throws screens from weakness. They do yeah. throw it from strength because of the offensive linemen and because Hunt is great at it, right? Chubb mm-hmm. is great at it. And some of their tight ends really fit what you want. Uh, you want a, that, that type of athlete that you're throwing a screen pass to. So it makes sense to me, man, you are on this. You were on this from the start. It almost makes me a little bit mad that it took the Browns this long to come around because there are so many parts of this that do make sense. And, and the idea that this is going to be a big, ga- a big thing against the Steelers seems like very good for the Browns. You, you would think they would be paying more attention to what we say and do over here, but you know, whatever. I always go back and forth on like, do I want everyone to know what we're saying and doing? Wow. Or do I want not that many people to know because then there's less people to yell at you. So yeah, sometimes true. it's like, just be careful what we wish for here. I got to watch the state. We want to take credit for things that properly and effectively influence people, but we don't want anyone yelling at us. All right, go ahead. Exactly. Right. So they, they potentially could have Nick Chubb back this week. It's, it seems that way. I mean, they had him come out and talk to us uh, in interviews this week. That's sometimes a good indicator. Uh, and he seemed positive, but it was, you know, we got the same answers. We're going to see how it goes the rest of the week. But if he is back, that's important. Kareem Hunt would be better. He's the big missing piece. Uh, he was leading the league in screen catches and yards before being injured. Um, but as for the Steelers defense and how they defend screens, that's kind of a mystery because Nobody's really challenged them with screens this season. They have had to defend nine screen passes, the fewest in the league. And the whole that, year? Yeah. The, the whole Browns year. Should, the Browns should throw nine screen passes in the first half on Sunday. A lot of this has to do with who they've played. Other than the Packers, who rank fifth in screen passes, the Steelers have faced teams in the bottom half of the league in screen attempts. The Raiders and Broncos are like 16th and 17th. They've each tried 13. But other than that, like the Seahawks are 24th, the Bills 26th, the Bengals 28th. So uh, that's had a lot to do with it. Uh, The Browns should provide more of a test, obviously, uh, than those teams, especially for the coverage ability of guys like Devin Bush and Joe Schobert, as well as edge defenders like TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith, uh, who, you know, they're they're called linebackers by the Steelers, but um, they're just, you know, they're edge defenders. Uh, However, they do find themselves in coverage more than, than guys on the edge uh, for the Browns often do. Schobert is their best coverage linebacker, and Browns fans, I'm sure, remember him well. He's basically the same player. He has a lot of tackles. He misses more tackles than you'd like. And he's been kind of average, maybe above average in coverage grade, but he's their best coverage linebacker. Um, he has three pass breakups this season, 62.0 coverage grade. He's never gotten close to his 2018 season as a coverage linebacker. He was 87.8 that year which, by the way, was also the year he led all linebackers and missed tackles, which is the whole rub with Joe Schobert and one of the reasons why they let him go. Uh, Bush's coverage grade, 63.1. So, again, it's also in that average range. Here, Going back to that athletic midseason grade story, here's what they said about uh, Devin Bush, who I believe, if I remember correctly, he was injured against the Browns in week six last season. Bush hasn't played well since he tore his ACL last October. He's averaging a little more than two solo tackles per game, which isn't good for an inside linebacker in the Steelers' defense. He's been able to get to the quarterback past couple of games, but consistency has yet to come back. Uh, many say it takes a full year to recover from an ACL injury. It's been a year now, and they gave him a grade of D. So that's where Devin Bush is at this season, at least, uh, in terms of how the athletic uh, reporters who cover the Steelers see him. So that... I think bodes well for the Browns in terms of getting their linebackers out in space and making them have to deal with Nick Chubb on the run with, you know, Teller and Batonio out in front of him. That's a good situation for the Browns to be in uh, no matter who, who the linebackers are. We should also note that TJ Watt has the second best coverage grade on the Steelers. 
It's only 65.7, which isn't good overall for your team, but it's not bad for an edge. He has three picks over the last three seasons. We've seen him drop into coverage sometimes against the Browns. I mean, he's, he's good, obviously. On the other side, you got Alex Highsmith, who hasn't been great this year, but he did grade 82.1 and 32 coverage snaps last season. So he has that ability. Um, these are also guys you got to deal with, you know, when you're, when you're running a screen, but usually you're kind of letting those guys rush and then throwing over them uh, or pass to them. So as far as linebackers go in coverage against the screen, I think the Browns are in good shape. And I just want to see them run screens against the Steelers because nobody really knows if they're really good or not uh, defending it. The Browns only ran two screens in the wild card game. And then they only completed one of them. And it was that 40 yard touchdown to Nick Chubb. So fond memories of the screen game against the Steelers, but all signs seem to point to the Browns, at least testing the Steelers more than they have more than they've been tested at all uh, this season on screens. So the line for this game opened at Browns minus two and a half. It has moved to Browns minus three and a half. And after this assessment, Scott Patsko of, of some of these key matchups, I would, I would advise people to maybe sprinkle a little bit on the Browns at minus three and a half. They're just, <laughs> listen, I think everybody agrees that the Browns are, are a better football team than the Steelers right now. Listen, TJ Watt is just bonkers, right? Really good football player. Cam Hayward, really good football player, right? I mean, they have some really good football players, but there are some specific ways these teams match up right now that it's hard to get away from, Scott, the idea that the Browns in some key areas have some positives that match up with some Pittsburgh negatives that, and then like whatever the, you know, sort of the negatives for the Browns that showed up against Kyler Murray and Justin Herbert and that kind of thing. It feels like the Steelers aren't prepared to take advantage of those in the same way. This just feels like a really good matchup in Cleveland for, for Saturday for Sunday, yeah. excuse me. Yeah. The, the Steelers, especially offense. Um, again, you're looking at their death by a thousand paper cuts. It's they rank 29th in explosive offense that's pass and run plays combined they just they don't get that stuff downfield uh like other teams do and obviously we know that ben has trouble connecting on those so yeah it's not a it's not necessarily a game where you're concerned about getting exposed by big plays it's just being kind of doing your job and and making sure that you're limiting those short passes to short gains if at all and then, you know, your offense obviously has to deal with the Steelers on defense. But again, they're not the same Steelers defense. They're, they, they have two new, uh, they have two injuries uh, at defensive tackle. Tuitt has been out. Uh, Alu Alu has been out. Now, Cam Hayward's having an awesome season, but that's different. You know, you have Devin Bush still trying to work his way, obviously, back from, from his injury and kind of get back to, to the level he was at. So it's a different group. It's a more vulnerable group, and yeah, it's definitely a game that the Browns should be favored to win. All right, that's a good breakdown from Scott Patsko. Again, he's carrying a podcast all by himself. We appreciate all the work Scott puts into this. We'll start sprinkling some other people in down the line. Make sure you're reading everything about the Browns at cleveland.com slash Browns, and we will see you on the Friday pod where we will preview this game. Scott will be on there. I'll be on there. Dan Lobby and Eric K. Cabot will get you ready even more for Steelers and Browns on Sunday. For Scott Patsko, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.